I'm glad you're here this morning, and you know that none of us have it all together, do we? Uh, how many of you had a similar experience this morning? Anybody getting rushed through? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard. Particularly when you have three little kids. I feel for my wife, Sarah, who every Sunday is really a single mom uh, as far as getting the kids together because I leave the house at seven. And so she's getting the kids dressed and getting them ready. And, and it's not unlike our son, John, to like leave his shoes off and like just get in the car. And you're like, what? Where are your shoes? Uh, or I love the bit where he says, uh, I want a sandwich. He's like, okay, you have to go make it yourself. And he gets an ice cream sandwich. And that's going to be his sandwich. You know, with all the stress that comes with getting ready for Sunday morning, trying to put on our Sunday best, sometimes it's just a whole lot easier to sleep in, isn't it? And that's actually what a lot of Americans are doing today. The U.S. population continues to grow, but worship attendance in our country as a whole continues to decline. It's estimated that every, every day around 3,500 people leave the church. In 2015, it's estimated that over 1.2 million Americans will leave the church. Over 4,000 churches in the United States each year close their doors for the last time. Every year, around 2.7 million Americans become inactive in their church. They stay on the rolls, but they're really not going to church, worshiping God on a weekly basis. In fact, there was a survey done where they they surveyed people and they found that 40% of Americans say, yeah, yeah, I go to church. But then when they looked at the church statistics, they discovered that actually only about 20% of Americans really go to church. As I researched this topic of worship attendance, I found out that one of the major issues and uh, the decline for worship attendance in this country is frequency. People used to go to worship every Sunday, four Sundays a month. Nowadays, the most active people go to church and worship only two Sundays a month. Our church is a good example of this. On any given Sunday, we'll have about 500 people in worship attendance with our three services when you add them all up together. But we have 1,000 members. Now, on Easter Sunday, we will have over 1,000 people here. Everyone makes a point to be here on Easter Sunday. But on any given Sunday, we only have about half of our people here. Why is that? Why don't we all come every Sunday? Now, by God's grace, our worship attendance here at First Presbyterian Church actually has grown over the last five years. Uh, five years ago, our average worship attendance was about 350. And then as we made the commitment to have unique styles of worship, and we launched the 1105 downstairs, and of course now we have a gospel service at 830 and traditional here in the sanctuary at 11. As we've made that commitment, we've seen worship attendance grow so that now the average weekly worship attendance is about 500. So we've gone from 350 to 500 in five short years. Praise be to God. But on any given Sunday, only half of our members are here. We're a thousand-member church. As I researched the topic of worship attendance, I found these ten reasons, these top ten reasons why why people don't go to church and go to worship. Number ten, I can watch a sermon on TV or online and worship God at home. Why do I need to go to church? Number nine, I'm out of town. I know that's happened a lot this summer. People have been out of town. That's a legitimate excuse. Number eight, I have so many things to do that I just don't have time for church today. Number seven, I'm tired. I want to sleep. Number six, this is kind of new to me, but too many sporting events conflict with church. When I was a boy growing up, there weren't any sporting events on Sunday. I mean, there was the professionals, but I didn't have any games. But it's not uncommon now to have kids ink games or other sporting events or traveling teams that play on Sundays. Number five, church is boring. Number four, I don't always experience God at church. If I don't have a good experience, then why should I come back? Number three, church people are just a bunch of 
hypocrites. Number two, I don't want to be lectured to. And number one, I feel judged when I come to worship. Everyone else seems to have it all together and I feel, I feel judged by others. Do any of these reasons resonate with you? When you miss worship, what's the main reason you tend to miss worship? But do we really need to worship God together? I mean, can't you worship God alone, individually, within your own room? I mean, doesn't Jesus say that when you pray, you shouldn't do it to be seen by other men, you should close the door and pray in private? I mean, isn't that good enough? I mean, we all know what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, uh, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, and the fourth commandment is to honor the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, we read this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Now, if we'll think about that just for a moment, when God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter one, the first five days when he creates the earth, he says, let there be light, and there was, and he he makes the expanses of the heavens and the seas, and he says, it's good, it's good. And then on the sixth day, he creates humanity. And and, uh, both men and women are created in the very image of God, and when he looks at us, he says, it's very good. And the very next day, the seventh day, Humanity's first day here on this earth, according to Genesis chapter 1, is a day of holy rest. Our week is intended to begin with worship. And ever since that first Easter Sunday, Christians have been gathering together for corporate worship to worship Jesus together so that we might begin our, wor- our week, which begins on Sunday, we might begin our week in worship of Almighty God. Yes, we were created for worship. We were created to honor the Sabbath but do we have to do it together? I mean, can't we just worship God in our homes or on the golf course or in our beds? I remember when I was in college, I was blessed that I had three uh, roommates uh, who were Christians, solid Christians, and one of them was actually a preacher's kid of a Baptist minister, and he knew he was going to get a phone call every Sunday on what the sermon was about, so he had to go to church, and, and so... Uh, he encouraged us to go too, and since they were getting ready, I thought, well, I'll get ready as, as well, and so I would go to church most Sundays in college, and, and when I would come back from church, we would go to, to the cafeteria in our dorm for, for food and maybe dining hall, and I would get, go there to eat, and then I would see some of my other friends, who I knew were Christians, because they came to the Bible studies in the middle of the week. The girls there were real cute, so they always made a point to go to Bible study. Well, anyway, they would come to, they'd come to, to the dining hall, and they obviously had not been to church because of the way they're dressed, and so uh, anyway, I would joke and tease them and say, hey, wh- where'd you go to church today? Bedside Baptist? And... They respond, no, no, it was the Church of the Holy Comforter this Sunday. Oh, what was the sermon about? It was about Sabbath rest. Are you supposed to rest on the Sundays? And so I'm taking full advantage of that. Yeah, I see that. Is worship, corporate worship, really that necessary? Our church's mission statement is to discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. We have a core four strategy of worship, grow, connect, and serve. We believe that any follower of Jesus who seeks to discover and live the way of Christ, the expansive grace of God, should gather together in corporate worship every week, that they should seek to grow in their relationship with God through Bible study, and they should seek to connect in community and and reach out to this, this community, and they should seek to serve others to the glory of God. Yes, corporate worship is a core strategy for us as a church, but why? Why do we as followers of Jesus, why do we have to come together to worship? Can't we just worship God individually? 
Well, to find out why God tells us we should come together in corporate worship, why God believes it's best when we're together, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. It may be found on page 1219 of your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to open our hearts and minds at the preaching and the reading of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired Paul to put pen to paper to write the church in Corinth so that we might have your written word today. We pray, O Lord, that by your spirit as we read your word, you'd give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and a heart that would be open and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. In the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be holy and acceptable in your sight. In your son's precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I know what some of you biblical scholars are thinking. Isn't 1 Corinthians 12 really about spiritual gifts? I mean, what does that have to do with worship exactly? Well, 1 Corinthians 12 is actually written as a part of a greater conversation that Paul has been having with the church in Corinth about worship. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about the proper dress for worship and how we ought to dress for worship. And then he, he talks about the Lord's Supper. And, and in the church in Corinth, they were being very sloppy with the way they served the Lord's Supper. Some people were actually getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. And some people were eating so much that there wasn't enough food left for everyone. And so then Paul offers them instruction and says, look, you've got to examine yourself before you come to this table. You've got to examine yourself and you've got to remember the words of institution. And I say these every Sunday when I perform the Lord's Supper, when we, when we preside at the table, we say these words that come from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, uh, 3, 
Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As Presbyterian ministers, we believe that the bread and the juice is just bread and the juice until we say the words of institution. These words from 1 Corinthians 11, or you find them in Mark or in Luke. As we say these words that were Jesus' words about his, this bread, his body given for us, his blood shed for us, then our, by the power of the Holy Spirit, our heart is quickened and our minds are remembered of God's amazing sacrificial love that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And on the third day, he conquered sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection. And so we come to the table to be nourished and to be encouraged in our faith and to experience Christ's presence, knowing that through these elements, God uses these elements of bread and juice to remind us of his unconditional, sacrificial love. And so they nourish us so that we might point others to him. Yes, worship, as Paul will continue to explain all the way through 1 Corinthians 14, worship is to be done in an orderly manner so that God might be glorified. And it's in within this context about worship and how the Lord's Supper should be uh, recognized and, and remembered that Paul writes these powerful words, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Why do we need to come together in corporate worship? Because we need each other. We need to be together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. In our God-given diversity, God has created each one of us in his image, and we all bear the image of God together, but, but differently. And God has gifted each one of us with different spiritual gifts. And as we come together in corporate worship God uses our gifts to help build up the body. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul explains that our bodies are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you'll remember, when Jesus is crucified on the cross, what happens in the temple? Within the temple, there was this space called the holiest of holies that was surrounded by a curtain. It was the place where God was supposed to preside, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. And we've all seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? I mean, it was that big gold box, and, and God was supposed to hover over that, and the Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant. But then when Jesus is crucified, the temple curtain is torn in two, and God's presence is no longer limited to this holiest of holies. And then beginning with that first Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit now dwells and resides in each one of God's believers, in everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. In fact, Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. And so through faith in Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit, and our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we come together in corporate worship, we become the body of Christ, and Christ's presence is made known to us in corporate worship. For as Jesus explains in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, for where two or, more, or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As we come together as one body in Christ's name, as the Holy Spirit dwells within each one of our hearts and we bring our gifts, our offerings to God, then God's presence is made known to us and we are transformed. 
I know each one of us have different gifts. Uh, Paul will go on to talk about the different gifts, and he'll say some have the gift of teaching. And of course, there's people who have musical gifts, Norman in the choir, and if you'd like to sing, I know they're always welcoming uh, another singer. Uh, people have different leadership gifts. We've got elders who help lead in this church. But also, there are people who have gifts of helps, and we've got ushers who help usher. And, and if you'd like to know how to serve and what your spiritual gift is, you can go to our tab called Ready to Serve on our webpage, and you can click that tab, and there's a spiritual gift survey you can take to discover what are your spiritual gifts, and how might you use your gifts to the glory of God. But the fact is that until we come together, Christ's presence really isn't made known. His presence is made known in corporate worship together. That's why we come together, because we need each other. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We all need each other in order to function and to be all that God designed us to be as the body of Christ. Y'all remember that movie, uh, Star Wars New Hope, 1977 came out? Remember, anybody see that? Am I the only one who saw that? Surely some other people saw that movie. Uh, big, big movie. Thank you. Uh, someone else would admit. Thanks, Stan. Uh, so I saw that movie, and I remember my dad took me to that movie, and it was the first movie I saw with real actors. I had seen a lot of Disney movies like Pinocchio and, and the, you know, uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I'd seen all those movies. But this was the first movie with real actors, and I was really excited because I had friends who had little figurines, and we were really excited to see this movie. And there's this poignant scene in the movie when I was a kid. I'll never forget this. Um, and, and, and Luke Skywalker walks into this cantina with Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? And Obi-Wan Kenobi's played by Alec Guinness, which he was like 80 years old when he did this movie. And uh, Luke Skywalker comes up to get a drink, and this guy who with a real weird face starts hassling Luke Skywalker. And Luke's like, hey, I don't want any trouble. And he says, hey, you better watch yourself. And Luke's like, I will. And he says, oh, you won't. You, if, if you don't watch yourself soon, you'll be dead. And Obi-Wan Kenobi realizes that Luke's getting picked on, so Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up, and he says, hey, can I, friend, can I buy you a drink? We don't want any trouble here. And the guy's like, well, you found trouble. And he pulls out his lights, uh, his lights or his uh, gun because he's blaster because he's about to shoot Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. But Obi-Wan Kenobi, Alec Guinness, at like age 80 with cat-like reflexes, pulls out his lightsaber and he cuts off the guy's arm. Boom! And there's this quick picture of this severed arm. And I was like five and I was like, wow, I've never seen a severed body part before. Wow, this is cool. And of course, you, you see it. There's like blood. It looks like ketchup's coming out of that arm. You know, it's obviously not a real arm. When we're not connected to the body of Christ, we're like that severed arm. We can't begin to do and be all that we were designed to do and be. We can't truly function. And we have to come together as one body in Christ's name at least once a week for corporate worship so that with one heart and one mind, we might turn our hearts to God and we might seek to give him all the glory. As Presbyterians, we're a people who believe in confessions and creeds. In fact, in a moment, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we believe creeds are, the Apostles' Creed was written in the second century. It was used as a baptismal formula originally to baptize adults, and it was a, a beautiful summary of the faith, and we've maintained this, this beautiful summary, and we continue to use it in worship. Well, during the Reformation, which happened in the 1500s, uh, beginning with guys like John Knox, Martin Luther, John Calvin, all these guys, we began to develop uh, these confessions, these reformed confessions that are a faithful testimony of what the scriptures teach. The Bible is 66 books. There's a lot in there. And so they've written these confessions to kind of summarize what it is the Christian faith and what we believe. And on the topic of worship, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a key confession for us, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this, religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature. In corporate worship, 
as one body in Christ's name, as little temples of the Holy Spirit, we come together and we set our hearts and minds on God. And with all the distractions we have during the week, with all the things that vie for our attention, we need that time and we need each other so that we can center our hearts and minds on God alone and we can give him all the praise and glory. Because only God is worthy of our praise and glory. For it was God who loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, God sent his son here to this earth to pay the price for our sins. I love our beautiful stained glass window that depicts the good gospel message. And of course, Jesus isn't in this. I mean, there's a picture of Jesus, but that's not really Jesus. I mean, Jesus, as we see in in the gospel of Mark chapter 16, as we read in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 2. Let's see what chapter that is. Ephesians 1.20, Colossians 3.1, and Romans 8.34, they all tell us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. So this room is just an empty room until we show up. And when the body of Christ shows up, then Jesus is here. Two or more gathered together, my name, there I am with them. And this beautiful stained glass window, while it's a a wonderful implement, uh, wonderful aid to our worship, we don't worship this, but it reminds us of what God has done for us. That while we were yet sinners, God didn't abandon earth and his creation, but he sent his son, born of a virgin, as a baby in a manger. And this child grew up among us, and he proved to be the the perfect sacrifice, the paschal lamb who came to take away the sins of the world, and he died on a cross for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again. And in Christ's resurrection, God let it be known that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. In Christ's resurrection, God let it be known that Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our praise. And in Christ's resurrection, God let it be known that death does not have the final say on those who call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, we're here out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And when you're not here, it's not the same. We're missing a body part, maybe an ear or an eye or a finger. And when you're not here, you're missing out on what God's doing here. Let's just take a moment to look around. Who isn't here that should be here? Half of our membership is not here today. Who within our circle of friends and our place of work and our schools, who needs to be here with us today? to join us in giving God all the praise and glory. May the Spirit guide us this week so that we might reach out to those who aren't here so they can come and experience Christ's presence with us each and every Sunday. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you, Lord, that by your spirit, you now dwell within each one of our hearts and that when we come together as one body in your name, you promise to be there. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence with us now in this beautiful sanctuary. But, Lord, we know you're not limited to to one building or one room. Lord, you are omnipresent. But your presence is made known best when we come together to set our hearts and minds on you. So God, we know that there are members of our own church who aren't here this morning. We know there are people and friends within our community who aren't here this morning who need to be here. And we're missing them when they're not here. So God, by your spirit, give us boldness to invite and to encourage folks to come and join us each and every Sunday here in this church as we seek to give you all the praise and glory, as we set our hearts and minds on you. For you alone are worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord, for your son. We thank you for the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. Oh, Lord, by your spirit, help us to live in the new life that Jesus came to bring us and help us to be bold in our invitation to others to join us in worship on Sundays. In your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen.